Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another episode of Rob Observations. Rob Observations, where we keep tackling, crashing, trying to get our arms around all of that juicy pop culture, comic book, jam, the history. I mean, uh, it's movies, it's TV, it's toys, it's comics. We've even done the records from my youth where you used to put it on a on a record player. Yes, people, there were record players prior to CDs and cassettes and you and you put a needle on the record and the record played stories that were Planet of the Apes, Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Hulk, uh, G.I. Joe. I did an entire episode on this. It was the Power Records episode. It was a really defined an era. But again, you guys, whether it's sound, recorded sound, like I'm doing here, or obviously $200 million budgets, um, to giant, uh, you know, shows, uh, that, that are, that are coming at us right and left, you know, this, this podcast couldn't have been start, started at the, at the best time in the culture in a pandemic when I just needed to rock the mic and talk to somebody, but so much of what I grew up with, as I've told you that I peeled off those juicy spinner racks, um, and, and just awful condition comics. I, I love saying this to all you people who the condition matters to. This was a spinner rack. These were spinner racks as sixes and six fives and five point oh's. Okay, nobody got a nobody pulled a ten off a spinner rack back in back in the day. They'd already been whatever you got to. It had already been mangled and handled already. But you know, my journey started in the very early 1970s, as I have uh, covered here. We have over 100 episodes now. You should check them out. It takes you from the beginning of my very young seven-year-old journey with comics, and it walks us all the way up to where we are now and everything in between. And I and I, 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 I weave and, and, and kind of dance through all the margins um, as, as both a fan and a professional, and, and I do it with you guys taking the ride with me, and I am so appreciative that you take this ride with me. Now, today, we're going to get into big, giant, I mean, just the best topic ever. I, I guess I've been putting it off because it's hard to just kind of commit to something like this, but I'm committing. I, it, th- these names haven't changed. There's no reason not to go forward with this. So today, we are doing the Mount Rushmore of comic books. The Mount Rushmore. People do this all the time. Who's on the Mount Rushmore of fill in the blank? Movies, directors, actors, NBA players, NFL players, whatever. Comic books. I'm doing all time. I'm doing all time. Who's who? Are we gonna chisel into that that mountain? And uh, and then I'm gonna break it down by different eras because I believe different eras have different you know superstars and and uh, I, I you'll you'll be interested to see hopefully what I what I how I weigh in here. I have criteria. We are going to go full on in regards to criteria. I'm going to tell you why I picked, what I picked, who I picked, and we're going to j- just jam and have a good time. And uh, and 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 you know, I'm certain, certain before I even get into this that there will be a lot of heated debate and discussion about well, harumph, harumph, my guy's not on there. Of course, your guy's not on there because this is my list. All right. So and this is my show and these are my observations. But we are going to start a new segment today here on observations because. There's so many hot topics. We got to do hot topics. We got to, you know, th- th- there are so many things that are just buzzing around the business. And so I'm going to start today's show by 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 weighing in on the recently uh, canceled Jupiter's Legacy from Netflix. And, and here's the deal. I'm going to do so in the most uneducated way possible because 
This is just my opinion, but I'm going to give you my opinion of this show based on having, wait for it, never seen a single frame beyond the trailer. Because I can do that. I can give you an opinion without seeing it. Because I believe what plagued Jupiter's Legacy overall was went beyond the actual content of the show. And you're like, life of the, how, how, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. It's it's crowded in there. That, that, that should be the name of this, this segment. It's crowded in there, people. And in there means comic book adaptations and specifically uh, echoes of Superman. L- let's just call it Superman knockoffs. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy, when it landed, was fourth to the dance in the calendar year of Superman entries. Uh, the Utopian, played by Josh Duhamel in his best Moses attire, rocking the Charlton Heston at the top of Mount Sinai, getting those tablets straight from God himself, except now wearing a cape, and, and rocking some white spandex, which was always going to be tough for anybody. I don't care who you are. It'd be tough for Stallone at his peak and you know, all, all of these guys with their rip physiques at any peak. So Josh Dumel, you get, um, you get extra, extra credit. Uh, I, I was next to Josh at the 2004 all-star game, NBA all-star game at Staples center. Uh, when, when the, the Staples hosted it that year. So that was really fun. And, and, uh, he was in the box next to me. And if you're in a box, you know, you're, you're separated by like, there's a, a, a section of glass, but I'm like, Hey, there's Josh Jamel. He was on a show thing called, thing called Las Vegas at the time, or maybe I just wrapped up. Always liked him. Follow everything he does. He's going to have a huge hit next year with Jennifer Lopez in a movie called Shotgun Wedding. But Jupiter's Legacy was the fourth uh, entry into the, um, Superman sweepstakes of 2021. The first would be the film that actually featured Superman, which as we know him currently, and it could have been his last hurrah as Superman, but Henry Cavill as Superman in the four-hour Snyder Cut of Justice League, which we all were able to view in March of uh, of this last year. And it was an epic. I I did an entire episode, you know, on Zack Snyder's Justice League, got an, got an early glance at it, shared my enthusiasm for it with you. I, I love Zack Snyder. I love his um, style of directing. I love the priorities he puts in in the films that he put that, that, that he makes. I love his shots. I love his direction. I love all of it. Um, I, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I, it, it's well chronicled from Dawn of the Dead to 300 to uh, Man of Steel, which is one of my favorite Superman movies of all space and time. And again, Superman is my favorite DC Comics iconic character. Period. End of story. Um, uh, it's not. It's not Batman, it's not Wonder Woman, it's not Green Lantern, it's always been Superman. So when I see Superman portrayed as he was in Man of Steel, I, I just, I, I thought it was so fantastic. I loved it and I, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly get enough of it. So, so, so then, you know, we've already got the boys. Okay. So, so, so the boys already exist. Season one and season two came at the end of 2020. So, if, but, but, but once it's in, it's, it's living in the cycle. So you're saying life, it's not, it's not, um, fourth of 21. Okay. So we're going to say fourth of the last 12 months. Okay. Let me correct that for in the last year, since we were trapped in our houses and it was us and our lush screens and all the streaming that we could eat at the streaming buffet that is Netflix, Hulu, Disney plus more, you know, HBO max, Amazon at, at the streaming cafe, at the buffet, at the streaming cafe, we had already inhaled a full helping of the boys. Okay. And uh, the boys has its own kind of version of the, the the Justice League as we all know. And the boys is R-rated. It's violent. 
it's funny, it, it's really violent, and it kind of goes against, um, it, it completely takes and spoofs the, uh, the, the entire notion of the DC comic book pantheon. I mean, it has an Aquaman, it has a, it has a Wonder Woman, these, uh, all these guys are, I mean, they're, they're fantastic in, in all of their, in all of their various roles, but, but the boys is most definitely a spoof and Homelander himself is kind of a Superman asshole, Superman as asshole. I know Superman as asshole because I sold millions of copies of my own Superman as asshole called Supreme. And we'll get to that in a minute because I, back in 1996, I said, I don't know how you do a Supreme movie if you can't make a Superman movie work. Okay. But Homelander is Superman as asshole. It works. He's kind of the character that everyone digs, that everyone gets the most mileage out of. And, and you know, um, I, I know that there's some some stuff they're going to touch on that's from the books and, and goes into even more like interpersonal kind of maybe even into a into a sexual nature of, of you know, sexual superheroes. And, and, uh, and, you know, that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that's drawn the eyeballs, the curiosity. And um, and, and and let's not forget that that uh, several years ago, in the same capacity, it's interesting, the first really big screen knockoff of, of the Superman type, the Superman kind of uh, archetype, uh, was portrayed by our good friend Will Smith in Hancock. And you guys, the original script of Hancock. The original script of Hancock was dark. Will made it a little lighter and a little more fun. He still was an alcoholic, a druggie. Uh, you know, he had all sorts of personal issues. He was abusive of his superpowers. But long story short, Hancock, the original screenplay, because it wasn't called Hancock. Um, I forget what it was originally adapted on, but uh, uh, from in the original um, name of the script. But he had super sex and, and, and literally would, would, would have to use great restraint not to blow women through walls through, through, and actually he, he does in a scene in the original script of Hancock, which obviously didn't make into the movie Hancock. Um, but, but in Hancock, we saw the first Superman as asshole archetype on the big screen. So that comes our way in the mid two thousands. And it was a box office smash. Will um, you know, was fantastic in it. Charlie's Throne was fantastic and it was really fun. But then now we're getting this, this, these more R-rated um, iterations of the Superman archetype here in our home, in, in our, you know, home entertainment systems. And the boys, Homelander, really knocks it out of the park and, and is a fan favorite of that show. And so people immediately file away, okay, this guy is a asshole Superman. But mostly he is a you know, he has Superman in the title. When you refer to, when you understand, I am watching kind of this jerk version of Superman. So that's with Homelander. Well, so that came, you know, the boy season two came within the last year and last, you know, nine, 10 months. And so then we got, you know, the original back with the Justice League Snyder cut. Okay. And then the curveball, the, whoa, you didn't see that coming. But the pe people who, those of us who are tremendous fans of this material knew that Invincible was going to knock your socks off. And Robert Kirkman arrived with a twist right before, I mean, literally, Invincible, the last, the last episode of, of Invincible aired within a week or so of, of, of Jupiter's Legacy coming out. 
So Robert is the third entry into the Superman as asshole sweepstakes. And Omni-Man became kind of the fan favorite of these episodes. And people people freaking loved Invincible. My kids loved Invincible. Again, you will life. Do you always mention your kids? I do because they do not share my same tastes. They are of a different age. They We do not listen to the same music. We do not in, inhale entertainment the same way. I do not sit and eat my cereal with my iPad propped up playing a YouTube video or a YouTube news feed. I do not have my pad thai or my enchiladas, whatever my kids are cooking up and, 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 and you know, and eating while I am watching on my iPhone, which is positioned in landscape, some clip of some movie or some sports clip. I don't do that. I watch it on my big screen TV. I don't understand. They go into the rooms. They're like, I'm going to go watch a movie. My, my, my kid literally came out and said to me, <laughs> like, this is the crap I have to deal with. Like, I'm like, what? What? Are you insane? You know, he he, he goes, hey, dad, you know, I I, I watched Untouchables. I, I, I'm like, the, the Brian De Palma classic? Yes, I watched Untouchables. How did you watch it? On my, on, my, on, my, on my phone. On your phone? Like, I, as a cinephile, as a film freak, am, am like, we, we, we have a giant, like, you know, 4K screen out here. I don't understand why you, you, you sat in your bed and watched this classic on your phone. But that's, you guys, that's how they are consuming, you know, the, the, the art that, that you and I, some of us grew up on and loved. I, I, so I, I don't understand how they communicate. I do not, I, I, I do not have Snapchat. Okay. I stopped at Instagram. I, I don't have, um, I don't watch, uh, hours and hours and hours of TikTok. I started an account just to preserve my name, but I don't watch TikTok. I don't go there. I don't know who these TikTok stars are. So that's what I'm talking about. Kids. My kids are, are 17, 19, and 21 now. They are the youth culture. When they come to me independent on their own and tell me from their campus in Texas that their roommates and they, they and their roommates are watching every episode of Invincible, they can't believe it. Oh my gosh, dad, I saw this comic book around the house all, up for years. I didn't know it was just cool. I didn't know Mr. Kirkman was so talented, blah, blah, blah. Then my 19-year-old, my who I, I'm going to tell you right now is an anime snob, I've covered this, is like, uh, Invincible is really good. So Invincible caught an audience. Uh, it, it went fishing and it, and it, it, the bait pulled the big, the big, 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 big fish in. Okay. And that big fish is the audience and Omni-Man became the breakout hit. I think more popular than Invincible, um, because it's cool to have an asshole Superman that just decides like, I'm going to wipe everything out because I can and does. And that's crazy. But Omni-Man became the breakout star of Invincible and why not? J.K. Simmons rocking the voice in that depiction, that mustache, that and again. But, but what do, what do they what do they share? Omni Man has a white costume with a red emblem, and uh, and then you got the Utopium from, from Jupiter's Legacy, and, and it's landing. And, and you guys, it doesn't take like a genius to go, "Whoa, you're late to the party." We already have Superman. We have you know, um, we, we have the boys in Homelander. We have Invincible, who's essentially Superboy, and we have Omni-Man, who is asshole Superman, who is, you know, also played by Homelander in a slightly different capacity. I, for my money, Omni-Man's the best of all of these uh, um, um, selections. And then you have the Utopian. And it's kind of like another echo of a Justice League, another echo of Superman. And four in one calendar year is just too much. That It was sold. He was the key him sitting moody on, on on his chair, him standing powerfully. 
um, what, a costume very similar to Omni-Man, Invincible, home, the boys in Justice League. You know, it, it's like it's like the podium. They don't they, they give it a gold, a silver, and a bronze. They don't give out a you know, they don't give out a platinum, gold, silver, blonde. There's not four. There's four heads on Mount Rushmore, and we're getting to that. But you know, at the end of the Olympics, you get three different medals. Okay, and uh, and 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 that platform was full. However, you want to rearrange your preference of Superman, Omni Man, and Homelander, um, they were already occupying. They had medals around their neck. Maybe Omni Man is your gold. Maybe Superman is your silver. Maybe Homelander is your bronze. Maybe Homelander is your gold. Omni Man is your silver, and Superman is is your your bronze. But you know that leaves the Utopian standing off the side because he didn't qualify, and Jupiter's Legacy didn't qualify. It doesn't matter how good the show was. The bellies of so many were full. And when the entire series got canceled, that's why everyone's talking about it. The series was unceremoniously canceled after two weeks. Netflix said, no more. No more Jupiter's Legacy. Those actors had four seasons on their contracts. Four seasons each. They were just let go. Whatever the numbers, whatever the interaction, Hollywood Reporter printed something about that, that people weren't staying with each episode very long. There's a giant metric. Oh, I they, they had 692 million minutes worldwide. Okay, but how much of that was, you know, maybe just in one episode and people jumping? Uh, only Netflix knows this. Only Netflix knows how far everyone's eyeballs and interaction um, carried. Look, before we watched Invincible Episode 8, we got news that there would be a Season 2 and 3. Amazon came forward, put their stamp. The Boys, Season 3, Okay. Superman's not going anywhere, kids. Superman, you're going to get a whole lot more Superman in the future. But maybe it was just too much. And again, I, 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 I'm surprised that there's three of them. I'm surprised, quite frankly, that Omni-Man and Homelander can exist alongside uh, Superman in the pantheon of, of, of pop culture right now. But they do. And there just wasn't room for Utopian, no matter how great. It would have taken a Martin Scorsese-level effort. Um you know, uh, some Quentin Tarantino magic juice to pull that one off. And unfortunately, um, the failure to launch is because it arrived fourth. There was no room. There, Literally, there just wasn't room in the culture. And, uh, and that can be a really um, huge gamble and a huge risk. And Netflix took it. Hats off to them. And uh, eventually, I'll get around to seeing it. It won't change. You know, it won't change my opinion that it was fourth to the dance in a calendar year in, in, in 12 months time. And in that period, stomachs were full. And, and that's my take on why Jupiter's legacy didn't go forward and why there was a um, failure to launch or why it didn't stick the landing. That's my opinion. That's all I got in this world is opinions. But um, especially Josh Jumel looked so much like Omni-Man. But again, a, a cartoon, invincible. A cartoon grabbed tons of eyeballs, got tons of buzz, with all of my the teenage set, they were digging it, and and that volume may have been so much that it drowned down, drowned out whatever was coming in regards to Jupiter's Legacy. Also, if you didn't notice Jupiter's Legacy, JL, JL, okay, JL, just like Justice League, I mean, very clever, very clever guys. Mount Rushmore, the Mount Rushmore of comics. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Okay, so we're gonna disagree. Let's just state that going out. But also remember, I've been doing this a long time. I've been consuming comic books for 46 years. 
46 years. Started when I was seven, okay? Do the math. That's a lot of comic books. Because so much of what came before was being reprinted, we've covered this in... Uh, in, uh, I always try and bring the receipts. I've talked about the pocketbooks that were at the point of purchase that re reprinted 14 Steve Ditko Spider-Man stories that were better than anything Marvel was reprinting in 1977. They were better than Ross Andrew. They were better than Sal Buscema. Steve Ditko, everyone. I was getting Jack Kirby Captain America's, Jack Kirby's Iron Man, Jack Kirby's Avengers, Jack Kirby's X-Men, all at the same time that I was getting John Burns X-Men, Ross Andrew's Spider-Man, uh, John Burns, Spider-Man, because Marvel had a healthy reprint uh, uh, publication platform that was reprinting, you know, books that were seven to eight years old on a monthly business uh, on a monthly basis. Marvel Tales was reprinting your favorite Spider-Man stories from ten years prior. Marvel's Greatest Comic was the Fantastic Four reprint, and when I was picking it up, it was getting to all of the good stuff. Um, the the tail end of the Jack Kirby run. And that issue 100, woo, baby, where everybody's fighting everybody on that cover. And Jack is at the peak of his powers. And then it pivots exactly, immediately, into the John Buscema Fantastic Four run. Because he picked up and took took the the the, the mantle and, and ran with it. And was the long-running Fantastic Four guy after John Romita Sr. plugged in for a, a few issues to bridge from Kirby to John Buscema. And then John B. Simmons' Avengers were coming out at the same time in um, Marvel Triple Action. Marvel Triple Action was the reprint title, monthly, out monthly, that featured, at the time, John Buscema's epic Avengers work, some of his signature work of his career. They had a book called Fantasy Masterpieces, which was reprinting the John Buscema Silver Surfer run. This is coming out in 1979, 1980, okay? And those Silver Surfers are some of the finest illustrated drawn um, depictions of, of, of superheroics and magnificent figures and fantastic worlds that you will ever possibly see in your lifetime. There is a reason there is an art, artist edition of this stuff and, and all, all manner of accolades and awards and why people's breaths are just taken away when they speak of the John B. Summer Silver Surfers who also did Submariner. I mean, all of that stuff is being reprinted when I'm a kid. And, uh, and, and then... There's all of the Neil Adams Batman stuff, which was, as I mentioned earlier, there was calendars with Neil Adams Batman stuff. There was records um, that were that were um, enacting his Rezaz Ghoul Talia saga, um, giant-sized tabloid reprints of the Neil Adams stuff, and 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 so the stuff that Neil did in the early '70s at the at the turn, his Green Lanterns, okay, the X-Men, all that stuff was reaching me via reprints that were coming to me. Every week, these books didn't all ship on the same week. So you get a you get a Spider Man Marvel Tales reprint title one week, a Marvel's Greatest Heroes with with the heyday of the Fantastic Four. You'd get Marvel Triple Action. You'd get Fantasy Masterpiece. You'd get you'd get Fantasy Adventures. I mean, all of these different that was doing. Um, that there was a title doing the X Men. So so all this stuff is, is is being available to me while I am jamming with some of the greats from the 1970s. But let's. Uh, like I said, I'm going to do the greatest of all time, my greatest of all time, my Mount Rushmore. And I'm just going to start, obviously, with, come on, let's just get the obvious. There's only one guy that everyone should have on their list, in my opinion, and that is Jack the King Kirby. Jack the King Kirby checks all the boxes. He is the most imaginative illustrator, creator, artist to have ever touched comic books. No one has done as much work as Jack. No one has done as much polished 
accomplished work as Jack. No one has created as many characters as Jack. But that doesn't matter if they don't look cool. Flying, blasting, you know, knocking you off your keister, kicking. Right before I sat down to do this, I was flipping through his 1970s Black Panther run, which is phenomenal. The action, the adventure, the depictions of Wakanda, the different warriors, the different tech. It looked different than what he was doing in Captain America, which he was doing simultaneously at that, at that time. He came back in 1976 during the bicentennial of, you know, of, 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 of America. And he was the perfect fit for, for, uh, Captain America, Mad Bomb, okay? And, and all these amazing adventures. Captain America and the Falcon under Jack Kirby's um, writing, his stories, his art. And, and, and again, prior to that, you got 100 plus issues of Fantastic Four. You've got how many issues of Thor? You've got all of the Fourth World Generation saga, the Fourth World Saga, which is New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle. He had just left behind Commandy, Omak, the demon at DC Comics. He, did, he started and drew your your first several issues of X-Men, of Avengers. Um, Jack is everywhere. Jack Kirby is is the most cl the closest thing to, that we're going to get to omniscience. You know how the, the God is omniscient, okay? Jack Kirby is omniscient. He has touched every comic book's helm. It, my great regret is that I never got Jack while I knew him and shared bread with him and hung out with him to even do a sketch of Cable or Deadpool. Those are huge misses on my part because he never drew them and, and I can only imagine what he would have done with somebody like Cable. He was a giant inspiration for me and all my approach to every single character that I did, none more so than when I introduced Cable. But Jack Kirby is um, not only are his figures powerful, you do not sleep on how beautiful his women are. Sue Storm, Big Barda, uh, Beautiful Dreamer in the Forever People. Her name is Beautiful Dreamer. She, these are gorgeous, gorgeous. Lady Sif. The, the, Jack would portray the strongest female figures, the most beautiful faces, um, and he, all, all shapes and sizes. Big, Big Barda is not some, you know, um, um, diminishing waif. She's a powerful figure with the most amazing headdress and costume design. And and that that is, I mean, I've, I've said it many times across so many different observations. Jack Kirby is single, is is simply the best costume designer to ever rock comic books. Period. End of story. And uh and 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 when you look at all the different designs, forget the heroes, look at all the villains, look at look at Doctor Doom, look at Silver Surfer, look at the Inhumans. Um I mean, look at look at Black Panther, not a villain, but supporting cast member. Look at, look, I mean, it, it's just phenomenal. Red Skull, all of these different characters that, that he contributed to. Odin, Loki, the Warriors 3, Ulick. I mean, uh, just, it, it, it's phenomenal. Darkseid, Orion, come on, okay? I mean, it, it's just, it's fantastic what this man was capable of. And, and literally... He just kept doing it into his later, later stages of his life. I love Silver Star. I love Captain Victory. I love Machine Man. I love Devil Dinosaur. Jack Kirby is easily the boldest, most imaginative um, artist that we're going to have on this mountain, this Mount Rushmore. His staging, his shots, um, 
as he got older, especially in the later stages of the Fantastic Four, but really in the middle with Galactus and Silver Surfer and the Watcher, you could see him refine his work. It became more detailed, more solidified. He was perfectly paired with Joe Sinnott, later perfectly paired with Mike Royer um, to, on, on the Fourth World stuff. He uh, just simply was one of the, is the best storyteller, best st staged action, dramatic shots. I, I've told you in great detail when he took over the books in the 70s, what he really started doing was opening with a splash page, following with a big double page splash on Commandy, on Captain America, on Black Panther, on the Eternals. The Eternals for love of, I mean, good, good God. You got Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Richard Madden. They're all about to make their debut in a pure, the purest sense of the world, Jack Kirby creation. So, so Jack Kirby for all his accomplishments. And here's my criteria. Here's my criteria. Everyone on this mountain, my Mount Rushmore, has to have multiple runs, not just one run on a character, one memorable. You have to have several. Jack brings like 14 to the dance. So he wins going away, going away. Who's number two? Who's number two on my Mount my, my Mount Rushmore? Well, I've covered this man in great detail recently on, on the show, on the podcast, but Steve Ditko, how do you not do the first 38, 39 issues of Spider-Man as well as the initial launch in the first year of Doctor Strange? And how do you not, including Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Clea and Dormammu and, and Nightmare and Baron Mordo and Green Goblin and the Sandman and the vulture uh how do you how do you not put that guy those those designs those characters the the the, the body language the posture the gesture I, I i've told you when marvel launched steve was the more polished artist steve had a greater um command of his skill set he penciled and inked his own work where, where where jack was not jack was famously quoted as why would i ink myself why would i draw the same picture twice he didn't want to ink himself he figured once he put it on paper why would he go over that with ink only those of us who don't like what we're getting out of our inkers myself todd mcfarlane that's why we committed to inking our own work but jack was fine and jack was inked repeatedly by a murderer's row an all-star cast of some of the greatest inkers of the silver and, and bronze age so so jack jack's pencils were magnificent um o over the years in in the kirby collector and all these other uh, different um, collections and magazines. They have shown all of the Xeroxes that Jack, all of the pure pencil Xerox, Xeroxes. They're they're wonderful to see. But Steve refined everything. He inked his own work. Even when he went over to DC and he gave you, um, when he gave you the Creeper, when he gave you the Question, uh, it, it, Steve w was just so prolific. But Doctor Strange and Spider-Man alone, just those two put him on the Mount Rushmore. But I cannot stress enough Doctor Strange is such a different fit than Spider-Man. The, the, the bizarre approach that he had to creating this mystical warrior, this sorcerer supreme, the, 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 the eye of Agamotto, all the different, um, the mindless ones, these different um, dimensions that he created, stuff upside down, sideways, the design sense, the illustrative quality of Steve Ditko's work, the polish that he brought. Doctor Strange is actually very handsome. He drew Peter Parker very young and dorky as he was intended. Flash Thompson was handsome. Green Goblin was creepy. Sandman was creepy. Vulture was creepy. I've weighed in heavily that Steve Ditko is my number one favorite Spider-Man artist. That also goes for Doctor Strange. He created them both. His vision is how I see them. It's how I prefer to see them adapted and adhered to. But Steve Ditko 
with Spider-Man, Doctor Strange alone, add Creeper, add, add Captain Adam, his work on Captain Adam, add the question, all of that other stuff alone, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. But those 38, 39 issues, there's an annual there that Steve Ditko did. Um, he defined Spider-Man. He defined him for an age. People like like Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson were directly influenced by Steve's pure vision. He is on the Mount Rushmore as an artist, as a creator, as an innovator. And uh, I've got the Steve Ditko Marvel visionaries right here. And they they, they speak of um, how Ditko created such memorable memorable villains as Doc Ock, the Lizard, the Vulture, dozens more Spider-Man foes. Um, Again, and and then in the back, it talks about uh, how Jack went on to illustrate the atomic hero Captain Adam as well as the question, uh, an influential character that represented Ditko's uncompromising moral code. Ditko's work remains a strong influence on a new generation of Marvel artists nearly four decades later, okay? Um, Steve's work is so... It's so ridiculously imaginative. It is uh, is innovative. Steve's work is is extremely innovative in in his approach. But again, you don't get Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and that that amazing rogues gallery, okay, that that, that he put his imprimatur on. Green Goblin, Vulture, Sandman, the Lizard, Mysterio. Come on, guys. None of them look the same. He is as innovative as Kirby was. So Steve is on my list. Great storyteller, great page designer, great figure work, inked himself, wore all the hats. Amazing. Just amazing. So I got two left. Who do you think it is? Drum roll, please. Okay, listen. I've talked about this guy many times. We don't celebrate him nearly enough. He, after Jack, did all the heavy lifting. All the heavy lifting for Marvel Comics. And that is John Buscema. They called him Big John Buscema because he's a big guy. Died many, many decades ago. Survived by his brother, Sal Buscema, who followed in his footsteps. But John Buscema... Uh, has magnificent runs, celebrated runs. The Avengers, uh, that uh, the work he did in 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 in, uh, in tandem with Tom Palmer inking him, is spectacular. John Buscema was your artist when you met the Vision. John Buscema introduced so many killer um, characters, but but his his figure work. John was a student of Alex Raymond, Hal Foster, and Bern Hogarth. Bern Hogarth has a book on anatomy uh, that I was given at a young age to understand how the how the how the figure twists and conforms. I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to draw bodybuilders. And even if you want to make broken anatomy, you have to know how it works in order to break it. Bern Hogarth drew an entire um, a manual on on mastering figure drawing, and and how Foster and and above all else, Alex Raymond are some of the finest illustrators ever. I have my giant coffee table book that I got about 20 years ago of Flash Gordon, this gigantic coffee table book that reprints all of the Flash Gordon um, daily strips. What does that have to do with John Buscema? Well, Alex Raymond illustrated all of them, and you will not believe that this art is done in 1934. It is done in 1934, and it is the quality and the standard. It doesn't look old-timey. It looks now like the best thing you would ever see drawn. The best figures, the best faces... It is it is lush. It is it is detailed. It is so refined. The the environments, the figure work, the the detailed faces. Alex Raymond is one of the best illustrators. Period. End of story. 
but he never did the big iconic Marvel comic stuff. But this Flash Gordon stuff is award-winning accolades up the wahoo. And John Buscema, Alex Raymond is kind of his spirit animal. He definitely walked in the footsteps that Alex Raymond walked in and was trying to assimilate what Hal Foster on Tarzan, Prince Valiant, Alex Raymond on Flash Gordon. Look these up. They're going to be expensive. These aren't cheap gets. I don't know where or when the Flash Gordon reprints exist. I think they're out there. I have an old-timey giant that I got at a bookseller in in when I was wandering into old bookstores, and I saw it. Oh, man. For 10 bucks, couldn't go wrong. This thing is... It, it, it's all black and white. None of the, none of it's in color. So you see Alec Raymond's exquisite line work. Well, John Buscema picked up on that and took that into the superhero realm, out of the sci-fi genre. Because Tarzan and, and Flash Gordon, obviously Prince Valiant, that's all genre stuff. John took what Foster, Raymond, and Hogarth had done. And, uh, and man, and somewhat Russ Manning, and boom! poured them right into Marvel Comics. And he took the staging and the power of Jack Kirby, the gestures, like when you got hit, how far was your head being thrown thrown back? How much was your arm being extended forward, your leg kicking out? That is is a absolute staple of the Kirby action. He took that and where Kirby definitely had a Kirby style and a Kirby world and a Kirby way of drawing figures and faces, John drew them as close to this lush, beautiful, realistic form that he was was influenced by these master illustrators. And he put them into this dynamic of Kirby. Whether it was his depiction of the Silver Surfer, his depiction of Galactus, of Fire Lord, of Airwalker, um, the, the new heralds that, that he would go on to introduce while he was doing Fantastic Four, when he his depiction of Galactus is no less impressive than Jack's, Jack's is I, I give I give Jack slight edge on the power and and the weirdness, but the beauty of of John Buscema's lines and his figure works. Did you know that John Buscema did two hundred Conan comics? Two hundred, two hundred Conan comics. That is not a figure and a fact that we celebrate enough. But I walked with you in a previous podcast in Sword and Sorcery how John was so important to Stan Lee drawing Marvel comics because he was carrying on the the Marvel the, the the Kirby aesthetic. Kirby was still there, but now he had he had favored John with John's depictions um prettier slightly, definitely more lush, but no less powerful. Some of the best most powerful figures and, and figures are everything. The the, the 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 dynamic and the acting, the gestures, the posture, the character acting that we do with figures and their poses is is so important in comics standing strong, slumping low, Posing, crouching, leaping, flying—these are these are tenets of what Jack Kirby pounded into Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics, especially at the same time, you could cross the street and you could go over, over to DC Comics, and Kurt Swan, beautiful illustrator, not doing anything on par with Kirby in regards to the power and the grandeur. It was very much a quieter storytelling, and and all of those, whether it was Dick Dillon, whether it was Kurt Swan, whether it was Irv Novick, the DC stable of artists were slightly quieter than what Marvel was doing with Marvel. Marvel had the amps, you know, turned all the way up. And John Buscema picked up on that and took this beautiful, lush figure drawing and put it on top. And Conan, 200 issues because, but but Stan Lee didn't want John Buscema on Conan. He was too valuable on the superhero comics. So they went with the lower profile, lower page rate, cheaper Barry Smith, who did the work of his life, who turned all of our heads, who became a a a a definitive Conan artist until he just 
was couldn't meet the deadlines and couldn't make the work happen on the level that he wanted. And Stan said, now unleash the hounds. That means go get John Buscema. Conan is a fan favorite. It's a top seller. As I've mentioned, Conan be- had three comics before Spider-Man had three titles. Conan had three titles when X-Men had one. Conan had three titles when the Avengers had one, okay? Conan was suddenly a thing, and so much of that was brought to the populace and was put in front of their eyeballs in Savage Sword of Conan, drawn by um, John Buscema, in Conan, drawn by John Buscema, and then the spinoff, King Conan, or later reformated as Conan the King by John Buscema, the most lush, beautiful, um, uh, uh, Figure work, I think most people would agree Silver Surfer is his high water mark. Somewhere between Silver Surfer and Conan, you could see John Buscema. It, it, it looked effortless. Some of those beautiful Shala Ball, the, the, the love of Silver Surfer, Norrin Rad's life, is, uh, it, it has never looked more beautiful. Mephisto had, has never looked more terrifying, creepy, powerful, imposing under the pencil and, and the art of John Buscema. He is number three on the Mount Rushmore. There is no way. I, 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 don't, I don't know how you, you, you replace the three that I've named, you know, so far. They're, they're rock solid. Their credentials are second to none. Their work is second to none. But my fourth is an innovator. He is the gateway, the transition man, the guy who got us to where we are today. Just as Kirby and Ditko, okay, that they are they are these um they are these kind of character creators. They're at the dawn. They they birthed Marvel Comics together jointly. Then you've got John came in and he carried for them and, and he's he's just got this next level illustrative um quality to his work and a dynamic. Then you've got Neil Adams. Neil Adams is my fourth on the Mount Rushmore of comic books because Neil started in, in newspapers, Ben Casey, nineteen sixty two. And then immediately, and, and, and he was drawing from photographs. He was drawing photorealistic. He was matching the actors who were, Ben Casey was a TV show. It had a daily strip. And Neil came from the world of illustration and advertising. And he was great. The drawings were beautiful. Uh, he, he took Pusema and, and, and went up a notch in terms of figure work, figure dynamics, and most definitely face, facial expressions, facial renderings. Um, inking techniques, rendering techniques, cross-hatching. John Buscema, not a big cross-hatcher. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, they had their own style of rendering, but nothing on par with what Neil would do, which it was a little more naturalistic. You could see where he picked his spots and then would just let that rendering come out on that muscle, on that bicep, on that quad, on that shoulder, on that pec, the, 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 the abdominals. Whereas somebody like Barry Windsor Smith would really go next level like cross-hatching, like multiple levels. But Neil had this naturalistic where it just made sense that he was pulling these lines out of these shadows. He did um, the most dramatic lighting that had been seen in comics at that time. Chiaroscuro light, you know, where you can see uh, there's clearly uh, a rim lighting on the body where, where, where there's secondary lighting effects. He was doing that with his rendering. His inkers had to keep up with him, whether it was Tom Palmer, um, whether it was himself, Dick Giordano, uh, some of the greats that inked him. Neil Adams, again. So so with John Buscema, we've got Silver Surfer, we've got Conan, we've got Avengers. He did a long stay on the Fantastic Four, multiple titles. Steve Ditko, we've got multiple runs. As I as I said, Jack Kirby, give me a break. It's multiple times multiple runs. Neil Adams came on the X-Men, was hired to, to as the Hail Mary to try and save it. I know, I know what that feels like. That's what I was hired to do with New Mutants. He and Roy Thomas, 
Again, they couldn't turn it around because you know, I've told you, the reason the X-Men, that version, Beast, Jean Grey, Scott, Summers, Iceman, Warren Worthington as Angel, Charles Xavier, the reason it failed was Temple Touchers and Arm Casters, man. No weapons, no action. But Neil came on like in the 50s and went to the 60s in that book, late 50s to the to like a year on that book, tried his damnedest Sauron, um, Master Mold, the Sentinels. He drew the shit out of the X-Men. It never looked better. It was the best-looking comic book. They have done this giant, beautiful hardcover treasury edition. You should get it, hardcover of Neil's run. It's been reprinted multiple times. I, I have had Neil sign like every edition that comes out. I'm like, oh, I gotta get Neil to sign this. Um, Neil is still kicking ass in his um, late 70s. He is crushing everyone in sight. He is so dynamic and amazing and has illustrative abilities. N Neil took the loud to the next level, the big double-page spread of the figure. Um, Warren Worthington, Angel flying through the Savage Land, Sauron, these double-page cinematic spreads. He, he, he brought a cinematic eye to, to comic books. When you see the stuff that Brian Hitch later did, uh, and, and, and any of these guys that go quote-unquote widescreen, the image guys who kind of introduced the widescreen aesthetic, we're all just doing Neil Adams, okay? He said, I can do this figure and I can spread it across a double pager and make your eyes bulge even more because it's a visual medium. Again, if we don't have the artist, we don't have the comics, okay? My apologies to the writers, to those of you who write and draw, kudos to you. It's a visual medium. It's about the art. The art drives it. Neil Adams is a phenomenal, the best to ever do it, in my opinion, a phenomenal artist. Superman Muhammad Ali is the single best illustrated comic book you are ever going to hold in your hands. Go see it. There is a literally a page with people, a double page spread with people walking through like Brooklyn and the the marketplace, the 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 fruit stand, the the liquor store. You're going to get carried away with the next level of detail. Um, the guy walking across with the ponytail and and the jean vest jacket. I mean, n nonetheless, the the depiction of Muhammad Ali standing next to Superman as if they did occupy the the same space that that Superman they, it's like it's like he got photo referenced by going and going hey Superman real guy could you stand next to Muhammad Ali and they both posed it, it's that brilliant and Superman flying through a fleet an armada of war of 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 alien warships is something you have to see to behold it is magnificent Superman has never been more handsome Muhammad Ali has never looked better staggering storytelling in this thing staggering Neil Adams is fourth on my Mount Rushmore. Now, this begs the question because somebody always, but, but what about John Romita Sr.? What about him? Great artist. Beautiful lines. We've covered this. Lush, beautiful. Um, his Peter Parker, his Mary Jane, his Kingpin, all beautiful. Really good storyteller. Picked up the same dynamics that John did from Kirby, but had a definite Romita Sr. style. John Romita Sr., John Romita Sr. I love him. He's great. He had one great run. He did a lot of mystery books. He pinched hit. He did some Captain America issues. He did some Fantastic Four issues. You know, he did. He 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 definitely felt his way around. But he did this one great run on Spider-Man that is in the Hall of Fame. But it, that's it. There is no secondary great Ramita Senior run that people kind of you know go crazy over. The thing about all four of these guys too, all four of these guys on my Mount Rushmore have numerous um, influences and duplicators. N numerous Ditko knockoffs, numerous Kirby knockoffs, numerous John B. Seminoff. Mark Silvestri was based, okay, in 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 John Buscema, okay, and and Neil Adams has has like fifteen, maybe the most imitated guy 
of, of all, from John Byrne to Bill Sienkiewicz, everyone was biting off Neil's illustrative aesthetic. That is my four on Mount Rushmore. Some people say, Will Eisner, Will Eisner. Will Eisner is next level talent, storyteller, illustrator. The thing about the spirit is it's not as accessible. Spirit comics are hard to come by. They're not. Old bronze and silver age comics are, are hard to come by. As it is. Um, spirits are are harder. You don't see them. They don't show up on the back walls at the conventions. On uh, they're not wall books. They're hard to find in in the back issue bins. Will Eisner's exposure is 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 lower. He's a giant influence on so many. Um, but again, outside of the spirit, he doesn't have multiple runs. My criteria, my number one criteria, is influence. The 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 the, the imitators as well as multiple runs. Steve has it. Neil has it. Neil has it with X Men, Batman, Avengers, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Okay, I, I I have I have pages from Superman, Muhammad Ali in my collection. I recently acquired a, a Green Lantern page because I had to have it because I, I I had to have something of Green Lantern and that stuff is going higher and higher. And again, try buying any of these guys' artwork. It's it's next level expensive. A dealer. I was at a show two years ago and a guy had just given a bunch of Fantastic Four, John Buscema pages to a dealer and it was all of the Galactus story that John did and uh, it had Gabriel the Airwalker and, uh, and and I inquired about the prices and they were like multi thousands of dollars and and for a for a medium a medium page with not big moments on it the big moment page forget it 30 40 grand Kirby stuff Ditko stuff forget it Neil Adams stuff like forget it that stuff is ridiculously insane in, in terms of its value. So those are my four. You're going to say Will Eisner. Some of you are going to say John Romita Sr. Some some guys bark at me. Gil Kane. All terrific talents. Sometimes I think Jack doesn't belong on the mountain because he he deserves his own monument. That that being with those other guys and then that would free up room. Jack actually, I feel like, deserves his own isolated um, monument. J- Jim Valentino in the 90s would laugh and say, you know, the rest of you are the Beatles and Todd is Elvis. That's how I see it. You're the Beatles and, and Todd is Elvis. And it's an interesting way to look at things. And I see what he was saying. I see it now more than ever. And, and I kind of feel that the king, uh, Jack Kirby, the king of comics, has his own kind of, you know, special place in the hall of comic books. But so then from there I go eras. Now I can't put anybody above them. Those are that's my four, you guys. And and the work that they did and 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 the 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 the, the base. The groundwork that they laid, you know, the, the the platform that they created for everybody else, and the influence that they've exerted, is uh, is like nothing I've ever seen. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I think like a, a guy in the last forty years who could make his way up there is a Frank Miller. The work that he did on Dark Dark Knight, the work that he did on Ronin, the work that he did on Daredevil, Sin City, three hundred. He certainly has multiple runs. He certainly belongs there. He's actually. In another era, I'm going to go to the 70s in in many categories, many lesser mountains. A 70s Mount Rushmore would look like this to me, and I gave this great thought. And I already said Gil Kane. Here's where I put Gil Kane in. Gil number one is that he was Marvel's cover editor for five to six years, and there were weeks where every comic, Defenders, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Power Man, you name it, Gil did the cover. There were, there were weeks that Marvel published 10 comics, all 10 comics. Tomb of Dracula, um, the Tales, uh, what did they say? Marvel Chillers, um, the horror books, Man Wolf, 
Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Defenders, Avengers, X-Men. They had Gil Kane covers, okay? Gil Kane was the cover guy, and he gave us some of the greatest, most celebrated covers you will ever met. Giant Size X-Men, number one, it broke the mold, kind of dawned an entire new age in the business. That cover is Gil Kane, inked by Dave Cockrum. That is Colossus punching out at you. So many memorable images. His work on Daredevil set the stage for what would follow with Frank Miller. Uh, his he, he went off as an innovator. He did. He did Starhawks. He did Black Mark. He was kind of an early kind of independent pusher. His Green Lantern obviously is is celebrated. Um, uh, his his work on the Atom later on, but er, both early and later, Gil Kane defines so much of how things look. The cover matters. The cover is the selling point. And if this guy produced, and he did, hundreds of covers, hundreds of covers um, that, 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 that jumped into our hands that made me personally love these books. Iron Man, he was the cover artist. Champions, he was the cover artist. Defenders, Avengers, Thor, Captain America. Unbelievable, unbelievable impact of Gil Kane. He is on my 1970s Mount Rushmore. So is Dave Cockrum, who picked up the cover art from him. But Dave also did a stellar run, an, an innovative run on the Legion of Superheroes, modernized them for years, for years following. Mike Grell followed Dave Cockrum. Dave Cockrum established the way the Legion of Superheroes, which was once one of the most fan-favorite popular comic books in comic books period, but for DC Comics. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, Saturn Girl, Colossal Boy, Lightning Lad, um, um, Phantom Lass, Monel, they all are rocking a variation of a Timberwolf, Wildfire, Dawnstar. Dave Cockrum was in is in my opinion the second best costume designer after Kirby. Colossus, hello. So then he does after the Legion, he comes to Marvel and he does the new X-Men. He does Giant Says X-Men number one, which is Hall of Fame. Try and get a 9-8 copy of that. See if you're not spending fifty thousand dollars Um and then we go into his reboot from X-Men 94 all the way to 107. John Byrne comes on from 108, exits with 143. By 145, Dave Cockrum is back for another three years. Um, to me, G Dave Cockrum and Gil Kane so defined the aesthetic and the look and the covers. Because again, Dave Cockrum, when Gil Kane is no longer the cover editor, Dave Cockrum becomes the cover editor. And that's why Dave Cockrum has all the covers on all the John Byrne books. I've already told you it was kind of personal also. He wanted, he wanted to make sure that he was putting the covers on that book, not John. But he's also doing covers on all the titles I just told you. Defenders, Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Captain America, Thor, um, Iron Fist, Power Man. When you're the cover editor, you get to literally, wait for it, cover it all. And he did. And he did spectacularly. Dave's another guy who could pencil and ink his own work. And it's magnificent. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Now, I have to. There's a guy here who's going who's gonna to bridge both. And that's John Byrne. John Byrne's in the 70s Hall, Mount Rushmore, because he came in. At Marvel in 1975, did Iron Fist, did uh, did Marvel Team Up, he 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 did he did fill-ins on 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 Daredevil. He then jumped. He does Champions. He then gets on the X Men in 1977 and leaves in 1980. So his magnificent celebrated run that turned everything around for Marvel is in the 70s. That is 1970s work. He is on that book from issue 108 through 143. And that is John Byrne flexing. He brought the book to monthly status from bi-monthly status. He could deliver. He did two books a month. He was doing the Avengers at the same time. He was doing Marvel team-up. He was doing Marvel two-in-one. This guy is a sheer workhorse. My favorite, most celebrated 
the most impactful, in my opinion, work of John Burns' career was done in the 70s. He is on the 70s. Mount Rushmore. And lastly, lastly, I would put my good friend, Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, Adam Warlock, Captain Marvel, Thanos, Gamora. All of these are a byproduct of Jim's imagination and his illustration. Avengers Annual 7 and the Marvel 2-in-1 Annual that connects with it that came out the same summer, summer in 1977 with Thanos killing Adam Warlock and then, and then you know, Adam Warlock rising back. Read it. It's amazing. But establishing Adam Warlock, introducing you to Pip the Troll, Gamora, Thanos, Drax, his work on Captain Marvel, just stunning. He then pivots and starts doing Dreadstar as the 90, as the 70s become the 80s. But Jim's influence is magnificent. He was the cosmic guy. He turned around Marvel Comics from the cosmic viewpoint. And that Avengers 7 annual is, a, is, is like one of the top 10 comic books ever published. So... So my Mount Rushmore in the 70s. Now, again, could, could I fit in Howie, Howard Chaikin? Could I, could I argue for, for Neil Adams? Sure, all of it. This is my Mount Rushmore. Gil Kane, Dave Cockrum, John Byrne, Jim Starlin. All right? And then the 80s. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at the 80s because I can't do the 90s. And frankly, there's nobody in the 2000s since who I think would go on a Mount Rushmore. I, I just, the business is different. Nobody does not long runs. Nobody does long runs with great impact. Nobody does long runs with that, that are innovative, that, that have imitators, okay? You can go, but Rob, Mark Bagley did 100 issues of, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man. I know, but nobody draws like Mark Bagley, and Mark Bagley was literally redrawing Steve Ditko stories. He was literally reintroducing you to characters that were already reintroduced 40 years prior for a new audience. So Peter Parker was in high school again, and here's the Goblin, and here's, you know, the Rhino, and here's, you know, Craven, and here's, here's... Here's uh, Mysterio, and here's you know Vulture. So so again, but I don't see anybody drawing like Mark Bagley. He did a great job. Those are great comics. They're super fun. They're super entertaining, and 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 that that's that's an extended run. It's up there with Kirby, but but it, the influence is not there in my opinion. That's my opinion. That that's my view of the 2000s, the 90s. I was part of it. I can't be part of it. I can't tell you who you know. But would I put any of us on the Mount Rushmore of all time? I wouldn't. We're not as good as any of those guys. Under no circumstances would Jim Lee draw John B. Summer or Neil Adams under any table or Mark Silvestri, although Mark would be close, okay? And um, and so so my 80s, Mount Rushmore, okay? And, the, and it is, is, it's easy for me. These guys are the superstars. You got Frank Miller, okay? Frank freaking Miller takes over Daredevil, immediately becomes the writer, introduces this grindhouse martial arts Eastern influence of ninjas, which which it hadn't been. I, I was looking at one of the issues prior to him coming on the other day, and it's Daredevil in a pit, and he's face, facing off against the Owl, Jester, Gladiator, and Stiltman, and and that is the Rogues Gallery, the Jester, okay, um, the Owl. These characters were not destined for Hall of Fame, Rogue Rogues Gallery Hall of Fame greatness, okay, and uh, he comes in. Clearly a fan, as I've covered in all of my Frank Miller. Um, 70s Visionaries is the first, I think it's episode three of my podcast, going back over a year. It, it really leans into Frank. Then he came on board, introduced the Eastern aesthetic into Wolverine, really solidified Wolverine as a blockbuster character. But the work he did on Daredevil is the finest work of his career. It's the longest run he's ever had. Multi-year run, 1979, 1983. Introduces Elektra, introduces The Hand 
introduces Stick, the guy that trained Matt Murdock after he went blind, something we'd never had before, but he introduces him and your mouth is on the floor like, whoa, Stick is the coolest. Um, as I've said, all of the media, whether it's the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie or it's the excellent Netflix D Daredevil series is all modeled on all of Frank's stories. They never veer away from Frank. Then he pivots to Dark Knight. He, he remakes Batman for, for, for the next 40 years. Everyone's biting. Everyone's sucking on that teat, okay? He is the preeminent power of the 80s. Frank is the most influential creator of the last 40 years, in my opinion. The closest getting on that Mount Rushmore as a creator, as an artist, as a storyteller. His figure work, he was clearly influenced by, by Gil Kane and his long elongated figures it's just fantastic the action choreography he taught an entire generation myself included Jim Lee included Mark Silvestri Eric Larson how to choreograph um fights on the page he took a little from Will Eisner he took a little from Gil Kane he took a little from Jack Kirby a little from John Buscema and became the powerhouse that is known as Frank Miller he used shadows and light and dark and page design that was among the best I've ever seen in the modern age Frank is is, is is the well I go back to the most. It is an infinite well. It doesn't end with Batman. It doesn't end with Daredevil. It continues. But in the, in Ronin is a sci-fi masterpiece. He did that in between Daredevil and in between Dark Knight but and tried all sorts of new inking techniques that influenced Eastman and Laird. The turtles looked like it walked out of Ronin with the stippling, the careful stippling and the cross-hatching went he much heavier on the cross-hatching and, and, and came out with this very detailed stippling style. Frank is easily... The, the biggest head on the 80s era, um, Mount Rushmore. Again, then you've got to go John Byrne. John Byrne leaves X-Men and then becomes the penciler on a year run of Captain America, which blew all of our young minds, which is still a, a high watermark for the character in such a short, brief amount of time. Then he did a multi-year, four-year run on the Fantastic Four. That is the second only to anything Jack Kirby and Stanley did. It is it is a magnificent run. It is, it is collected in two full gigantic omnibuses. Okay, my X Force run is one giant phone book. Okay, John has two. That's how much he did with Fantastic Four. But so he had X Men, he had Fantastic Four, he had Captain America, he did Marvel Team Up and extended some of the best Marvel Team Ups ever in the seventies. But in the eighties, he then introduced his own characters called Alpha Flight, Vindicator, Sasquatch, Shaman, Puck. Uh, just talisman, amazing, amazing imagination. John had the big brass balls. He brought it. He did two books a month. The most, easily the most productive um, artist since Kirby in, in regards to, to a guy who could do that sort of workload at that level of talent. Um, and uh, and then went on to relaunch Superman in the big, the biggest, highest profile reboot that character ever saw. John Byrne is on the Today Show. He is talking to Jane Pauley. It is on the Time Magazine. Uh, the relaunch of Superman was a giant media monster, and it was helmed by John Byrne's imagination, his vision. He then goes on to do two monthly Superman books during the 80s. He closes out the 80s, coming back to Marvel with Hulk. Uh, I know he leaves Hulk for Superman, comes back to his West Coast Avengers, Namor. Um, the guy's a powerhouse. Powerhouse. The second easily most influential writer, artist, this is by art, but he went on, both Frank and he wrote, the thing you're going to, that connects all these guys is they all went on to write and draw their own stuff, which is something that not the guy that Ditko and Kirby had, but Buscema and Neil Adams, not necessarily. So John Byrne, Frank Miller are two of our Mount Rushmore heads in the 1980s. How do we round it out? Well, Walt Simonson is most definitely um, 
just just plastered as the third head. He came on Thor and turned its on its uh, turned Thor on its ass. Beta Ray Bill was a revelation along the lines of Electra, but, but even like more like more of a flex. A guy who takes Thor's hammer, an alien who becomes the god of thunder, and then Odin has to decide it. And just all the the, the way he redefined Loki, the Warriors Three, Sif, the Executioner, the entire pantheon, all of the mythology that he um he stood on he he just. Stood it all on its head. He penciled and inked his own work, wrote it, uh, innovative storytelling, just mastercraft renderer, a distinct. Now, again, he took his line work and his approach from an artist named Topi. Look him up, T-O-P-I, Topi, and, uh, or T-O-P-P-I. You'll find it. Google, Google, Google will, will be your friend here. The exact rendering style that Walt took from him, he, again, like Buscema, took the Hal Foster, Alex Raymond aesthetic from the Flash Gordon, Tarzan, Prince Valiant. Walt took this style from Topi and put it in the Marvel superhero realm. Exactly what Buscema did with the genre stuff. Walt Simonson did. But he also has Kirby's dynamics. And in this ridiculously illustrative style, very stylized. Walt is very stylized. Walt would go on in the 80s to do an epic run on Fantastic Four. Prior to that, he did an epic run closing out Star Wars. He was the artist that, after Return of the Jedi, for a long, between Empire Strikes Back and the end of, of, of Star Wars run, Walt was producing some of the most exciting Star Wars books. Look them up. They're amazing. He did an extended run. He also did an extended run on Battlestar Galactica. For whatever reason, they were giving him all these sci-fi titles. But Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars... The, the gem in his career is Thor. It is, it is four years. It is amazing. He stayed in it for a very long tenure, then went on a long tenure on Fantastic Four. Uh, Walt is 100%. Uh, he turned Thor around. Thor had become insignificant. It had become one of the lowest selling, easily to ignore. It wasn't keeping up with, with Daredevil and the innovations on X-Men and the innovations in the other Marvel comics, Daredevil, Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, were all leaving it behind. Walt said, how do you do? And turned it on its head and blasted it into, I mean, what you're seeing in the films, what you saw in uh, in Thor Ragnarok was pure Walt Simonson. It was Walt Simonson from opening to end. His production, his his his, interpreter, his interpretation of Surtur, um, all, all of the Asgardian uh, uh, you know, the, the modernization of Asgard, which he took from the aesthetic of Kirby and then modernized it. Beta Ray Bill alone is just magnificent. So Walt Simonson is up there. And then finally, Mr. George Perez, uh, Avengers, Marvel 2 and 1, Teen Titans, um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, goes on to write and draw and reboot in 1986, Wonder Woman. George had power, he had raw power, he had detail. He had a very distinguished, has a very distinguished storytelling style. He is he is several years into his retirement now, but whether it was his epic run on Avengers and Marvel 2-in-1 and the Fantastic Four in the 70s at Marvel, in the 80s, he exploded. He crossed the street, went to DC, in my opinion, surveyed the land, saw Frank coming in hot, John burning up and realized he didn't have to be third or fourth place. He didn't have to be the Jupiter's legacy of, of, of Marvel's, you know, superstar group. That, that was being crowded out by Frank Miller and John Byrne and Walt Simonson. George says, I'll go over to DC. I'll be the top guy on the platform. I'll have the gold medal 
because nobody can keep up with my Marvel dynamics. He brought Marvel dynamics to his run on the Justice League and more importantly to his creation and the reboot of the Teen Titans, which had it run neck and neck with X-Men for multiple years. The two hottest books were X-Men and Teen Titans. Titans has long since fallen off. It didn't have the juice without George to hang on. It was really, you know, more than anything powered by George Perez. Raven, Cyborg, Starfire, Blackfire, um, Deathstroke, all of these characters bore the imprimatur of George, George Perez. He was a great costume designer, he was a great storyteller. The power. He, he's, he's always been quoted as saying at DC Comics, he tempered the power that he took from Kirby at Marvel with more of a quiet approach to his storytelling so he could do the lighthearted moments or the quiet romantic moments. And there was a lot of romance going on in the Titans between Dick Grayson and Coriander, who's Starfire, so Nightwing and Starfire, and then Donna Troy and and and, and her husband, Terry, uh, or her, her, her romance and then ultimately her, her marriage. Um, George was at his best, I thought, when he was inking himself. He penciled and inked pretty much every cover of that book for his long, long tenure. He came back. He spun it off in a deluxe edition. Uh, again, he goes on to do Crisis on Infinite Earth, which is the single most important crossover in the history of comic book crossovers from either company. is the most significant, the most celebrated, the most impactful. It was, it was not the best selling. That would be Secret Wars. But Crisis had meat on those bones. It did big, big accomplishments. He killed Supergirl at a time where that stuff was just crazy. He killed Flash, the issue after you thought you were safe. No, they're killing Flash too. He killed Barry Allen alongside Marv Wolfman, who was writing all this stuff. But the, again, it's visual. The depictions matter. George is a master storyteller, master artiste, and he is four on my 80s Mount Rushmore. So you got Byrne Miller, Perez Simonson. In any order, it doesn't matter. That is, those are the four most important contributors to the 1980s in terms of the visual power of comic books and the all-time, you're never going to get beyond Kirby, Buscema, Ditko, and Neil Adams with me. That is that is the foundation of comic books right there up on that hill. The 70s is probably the one you can argue about the most. Um, Gil Kane, John Byrne, Jim Starlin, Dave Cockrum, that they are so 70s and so great. And, and you can't find a flaw in those guys' game. They're fantastic. They're amazing storytellers. So that is my, um, those are my Mount Rushmore's. Again, I, I can't touch the 90s. I was part of the 90s. I can't rank me and my peers. I, I have an opinion, but I'm not going to share it. Uh, that's up to you guys. In the 2000s, like I said, if you were to ask me who the best all-around artist in the, of the 2000s was, he actually started in the 90s, Stuart Amonin. There's no weakness in that guy's game. He's amazing. He's fantastic. He is straight up probably the best all-around illustrator, the John Buscema of our time. Um, but uh, I'm not doing the 2000s. Uh, I don't have a significant run of his. He's done so much great work, but there's nothing that stands out and says, that's Stuart Amonin, other than those drawings are amazing. Um, but at some point, you got to have some flash. You got to have some influence. You got to change the course of a character along the way with your the power of your pen and your pencil. So you guys, that's it for me and my celebration of the the, 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 the Mount Rushmore's and the way I see it. And I am going to go ahead right now. And uh, this is the time because you guys are so generous and you're supportive of this show. And you've been just going crazy in season two here. Just giving me some of the best reviews and word of mouth. And you're sharing this online and I can't appreciate it enough. Um, but I'm going to read a couple of these really fun um, reviews today. Um, um, this one comes from... 
Batman 1982. How easy is that name? Batman 1982. You guys, when you leave these reviews on the Apple sites or on Spotify or whatever, they mean a, a tremendous amount to how this show is viewed and how it's carried. And I appreciate it so much. And we are, are have, have from the beginning, we have gotten great marks. And I appreciate so much when you guys drop me a note like this. I read them at the end of every show. Here we go. Batman 1982. Love your show. Love the information because that's what I listen for the firsthand knowledge of the comic book industry. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to talk about with your show. Aloha. Awesome. Aloha, my friend. Batman 1982. This is from High Five Creative Design. High Five Creative Design. The title, the title of the last one, Batman 1982, was awesome. Okay? Five stars. This is High Five Creative Design is entertaining and insightful. Rob, I work 12 to 14 hours a day during the graveyard shift at a steel yard. I listen to a lot of podcasts throughout each shift. I recently came across your observations. I thoroughly enjoy it. Every episode is entertaining. I have to be honest. I didn't grow up reading comic books. I grew up with animated series. I'm currently studying perspective anatomy and storytelling because I'd like to create my own comic as a hobby. And this podcast gets me pumped and my creative juices bubbling. Somehow Rob is so insightful that he makes me miss comic books. He has miss in, 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 in quotes, because as he said, he never bought them in the first place. I get pumped when I see a new episode notification. Thank you for your podcast, Rob Liefeld. Thank you. Thank you. High five creative design. I'm so thankful that you are getting inspiration and this is getting you pumped. That's, that's all I ask for. That's I, I do this show to connect with you guys, to talk comics, hopefully to bring some of the receipts. I've been doing this a long time, 34, almost 35 year career doing this 4,000 plus pages of comic books. I don't know how many multi-thousands of panels and covers that is, but my passion is here. I try and express it to you guys. You guys are so kind. You interact with me. Catch me on social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name at Robert Liefeld. One, just, it, it's straight Robert Liefeld. I have a blue check there. That's really me. It signifies it's really me on Instagram. Check me out. I am at Rob Liefeld, just Rob Liefeld, R-O-B Liefeld. Okay. Blue check. Same thing. That's really me on Facebook. I'm all over the place. I'm in multiple groups. I'm all over. I'm hopping all around. I love hanging out, talking with you guys, whether it be on Twitter, in the messages on Instagram or the comments or through all the different Facebook platforms. Thank you for interacting with me. I love talking to you guys. Continue to hit me up. Let's exchange ideas, opinions, enthusiasm. And in the meantime, you know that you're going to keep your half of the bargain. You are going to take care of yourselves. And you are going to stay safe. And we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 